Welcome to My Talk, the podcast series brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. If you're interested, like us, in what's happening in the global retail financial services marketplace, be it asset management, wealth management, life insurance, fintech, banking, you name it, you have come to the right place. Count on my talk each month to keep you up to date with industry developments, but also to help you peek under the hood of these developments with the help of experts in the industry, both internal to us and uh, from the industry at large. I'm Goshka Folda, your host and Global Head of Research at ISS Market Intelligence. And today it is my great pleasure to host just such an expert. Barry McInerney has had a storied career in the global asset management business, most recently at the helm of one of Canada's largest independent asset managers, um, McKenzie Investments. And uh, if I may say, I also count uh, Barry among my dear friends and want to thank you so much, Barry, for joining joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Goshka. Nice to be here. So, Barry, let's start with a bit of, ba- a bit of background um, on your impressive career. I know that um, uh, it's kind of an interesting story how you got here um, uh, into the asset management business, and maybe you can illuminate a little bit about the various stops uh, along that road. Well, sure. Uh, I'm probably like most individuals. I did not enter the industry that I spent the most of my uh, career in and loved so much, didn't do that. And originally I studied actuarial science undergrad and, and some business as well and started writing those darn actuarial exams. And then I went on to get my master's in business. And during the, my master's, I started to um, study a little bit on investments. So I think my interest was peaked a bit in, in graduate school for investments, but want to get go on with my actuarial path and get those exams done and become an actuary, which I did. And, I, be, I was a pension actuary for about uh, five years. I, I, I was at Mercer. I actually spent my first 19 years of my career with Mercer in Canada, uh, 13 in Canada and six in the US. And um, then I switched over to investment consulting in the early 90s. And that was a nascent industry in Canada, established in the US, but nascent in Canada, fast growing, and worked hard and really embraced investments and ultimately rose to run that business by 1997 in Canada. And then Mercer was the company that got me down to the United States. So they transferred me down to New York to run the Mercer's US investment consulting business, which was a turnaround. That was good for my ego. That was, um, I would say working in New York and running a US company, that was, that was hard me. It was, it was good to, to uh, go through that experience. <laughs> and I learned a lot actually. And. Um, just before 9-11, that's a whole different podcast on that one, Goshka, but I just, I went down to New York, was in New York during 9-11, so I, I arrived there just a few months beforehand. But midway through my t- my U.S. tenure with Mercer, uh, we, we and I led uh, the development of their asset management business at Mercer, 2002, 2003, about 20 years ago. And, um, you know, at, like a, a Russell or SEI, it was a multi-manager business, and so Ultimately, I spent full time on that and was the founding um, leader of their asset management business for about three years. And um, that's when I really, that was my entree into asset management. And I just loved it. Uh, of course, I built it up to an astounding 10 to 15 billion in AUM 
across US, Canada, and Europe, and Australia. And now I think it's about 350 billion. So clearly they did very well without me when I left. But I left in, I left in 06, uh, Russell Investments came a calling and uh, I always respected Russell very much. So I, you know, sometimes you decide you don't wanna spend your entire career with one organization. So I jumped over and helped oversee Russell's North American Asset Management Institutional Business. So another um, experience with asset management. Also, I, I led, led their global consulting business. Couldn't get out of the consulting gig yet. And um, I really enjoyed my, my time there. A wonderful culture. I still keep in touch with many people. Michelle Seitz, who's the CEO of Russell, she's absolutely a fabulous leader. And uh, But of course, the financial crisis hit. And uh, that's another hardening experience for us asset management executives to, to go through that. So I learned a lot with that. And then uh, Bank of Montreal actually uh, recruited me in in 09 to be the CEO of the asset management, their asset management business in the US and in the globe to grow it uh, internationally. So not in Canada, but everything outside of Canada. And I had a great time. Again, that was pure, pure asset management, 100% of my time, a lot of M&A, growing it out, grew tenfold through M&A and, and BMO was fully committed to supporting uh, what I want to do in terms of growing it in, in, in internationally in the United States. And then finally, my, my final stop was McKinsey and, and power came tapping on the shoulder and I did, wasn't going to leave. I, you, you know how when you leave companies, I only worked for four companies in 35 years. Uh, always happy when I was working with them, but they tap your shoulder and you listen. So well, maybe that could be one final nice stepping stone to running a Canadian asset management company, which I had never done. And I'm, I'm from Canada originally. I'm, I'm Canadian American, I'm a bit of a mutt, but I'm from Canada originally and I'm also American. I, I now reside in the US, but um, just had a great time. And uh, the Demarais, the power company that uh, McKinsey's part of are just first class folks. And um, But yeah, so I, got, I think I got the scrap of the itch of asset management early and it took a little while to get there, like most people. But once I got there, I really enjoyed it. and. Uh, it was a great time and I, I love the industry. I'm very biased. So if you ask me any questions on the industry, I'll, I'll be on the positive side. I hope that's okay. I won't be too negative. I'm a cup half full kind of guy and particularly early in retirement, but I'm not jaded yet. But uh, but that's my little quick little summary of how I get into the industry. And I, I love it dearly. So. Thank you, Barry. That is uh, uh, really uh, an amazing journey. And uh, um, uh, maybe we should mention that as part of your uh, Power Financial and McKenzie uh, gig, if you will. You also got a chance to work with uh, with a, a truly global organization, and that I know that you um, acquired a very significant presence in the in the Chinese market. Correct? Yes, yes. So uh, we, little old McKenzie, have, may have made, or I guess I'll say we still wearing my McKenzie hat, even though I'm retired, uh, nineteen days or twenty days, but. Um, we made the single largest uh, foreign investment in a domestic Chinese asset management company. We, we McKinsey, owns 28% of China Asset Management Corp, a top three firm in China. And um, that was my second tour of duty in China. Uh, I oversaw um, BMO's China Asset Management entities and activities before that. And so over 10 years, I have seen that industry in China grow remarkably. I mean, we know second largest stock market in the world, second largest bond market in the world. Um, it's, I think, some folks um, estimate that half of all the global flows of our asset management industry over the next decade or two will emanate from China. Just enormous growth for all the reasons that everyone's probably well, well aware of. And I would argue that the opening up of the Chinese capital markets is the single most significant event in the history of the capital markets. Because how many times do you have a market open up freely, only five or six years ago, really, and it's the second largest market in the world just opening up. Like, my goodness, it's usually they grow from you know, nascent and, 
and go through various stages. It was just incredible. And so, um, yes, I was uh, firsthand, saw that growth, oversaw a large operation there. And, um, you know, I could, another podcast, but I could ask, answer anything you want on China. <laughs> it's a good, very interesting uh, country and people and society and, and geopolitical setting. But from an asset management and wealth perspective, it is a juggernaut. And it, we know all the firms jumping in there as well. There's two ways to go in. We went in with purposefully a minority interest in a uh, big dominant domestic player. And of course, some of our larger competitors who have done this so well in other countries, I'll name them, BlackRock and Fidelity and Bridgewater, brilliant firms. They've decided now they're allowed to, they're building their own company, uh, domestic company in China. So two ways to go. We, we actually uh, obviously believe in the former approach, but uh, it'll maybe just see how this unfolds over the next 10, 20 years as to which model thrives. And it's quite interesting that both at uh, at BMO and 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 Power and and as you mentioned, you know, uh, McKenzie in the big scheme of things being a smaller asset manager globally, but yet a really powerful presence both for BMO and for for McKenzie in China. So that yeah. might merit a separate podcast, I think. Well, I, I was a very very good point, Kasia, because I was blessed that you know BMO. Folks don't realize BMO is a bank in China, and they've been in China over a hundred years. And you probably have heard all these statistics, and they have enormous uh, presence in China, relationships in China. They themselves own twenty percent of Full Gold, which is a terrific domestic asset management player out of Shanghai. China MC is out of Beijing. So BMO has been there a long time, and of course, Power, the Demery families have been in China over forty years. And in fact, as we know, Pierre Trudeau went to China before Richard Nixon did to, to open up right, the, the East and the West relationships, and, and Paul Demery Sr. was front and center from the beginning. And so they have cultivated, and that this is very important as we know in these countries, they have cultivated relationships for over 40 years. Therefore, we were so fortunate, McKenzie, part of the power family, that that opportunity was presented to. I mean, our competitors would kill to have the position we have with China AMC, and we got it largely, if not entirely, because of the relationships that power has cultivated over the last 40 plus years in China, and particularly the relationship with Citic. Citic is the parent company of China AMC. So yeah, I mean, uh, complete happenstance in terms of my career, but I did land my, my last, what, 14 years of my career with two companies that have significant, Canadian companies that have significant presence in China. So interesting. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, it happened so that I spoke to the um, uh, the executives and the board of the Chinese asset management uh, company that Bank of Montreal um, uh, co-owns or has a joint venture. And I found it to be absolutely um, interesting, fascinating, and those executives to be very, very interesting and, and very bright. And uh, But you, you just mentioned something so powerful about the business that, you know, clearly asset management is a global business more and more so with each year um, that I have been observing it, but it's also what I would call um, with a re real local conscience uh, or local local tilt or glocal, we could call it, because you can scale many functions, but the relationships and especially in particular markets, it's very, very important uh, to be able to connect with the market in the, uh, in the right way and, and find partners that can yeah. really help. Smart observation. I mean, I found that with BMO, I opened up their Middle East operations for asset management and another region that relationships are very, very important, and even within the Middle East, of course, you know, between Saudi Arabia and UAE and Bahrain and Kuwait and 
Qatar, they're all very different. So, you know, not equating the two, but you're right, locally, you, you, you have to you have to hire local, you build local. There's so much synergies globally, to your point, when you're running a global asset management company. Let's be perfectly clear here. I mean, there's a lot of the, your point, localism of our industry that you need to get the right balance. If you don't, then you could tilt wrong one way or the other incorrectly. So. So uh, Barry, now that you're, you have, uh, and again, understanding it's only been 19 days, but stepping uh, outside of the business and uh, still we do, uh, we do acknowledge that you're a fan uh, of the business, of the asset management business, but um, as you're changing gears and maybe acquiring uh, a little bit of distance, uh, what do you think um, are some of the most profound changes that we have observed um, in the global asset management um, uh, business in the past five, 10 years? And and then we'll circle to to the future. What do you think might happen next? Sure, uh, great question. Uh, one of the reasons I love this industry so much is it's remarkably dynamic. I, I know other industries are as well. There's my bias, of course, but it is remarkably dynamic in what I've seen over the last 25, 30 years. So where we were 25, 30 years ago uh, to where we are today. Um, you know, a famous Goldman Sachs study saying a third of assets five years out are in products that don't exist today. Um, I've done that with my own businesses. It's true. It, we move pretty quickly. So when I when I came back to, to Canada to run McKenzie and to help uh, strengthen its Canadian presence and to globalize it, I identified five sort of growth catalysts. And these aren't particularly prescient, prescient but I think that if you're a student of this industry, we've talked about one China, um, you know, ETFs, product markets, sustainable investing, and an outcome-oriented retirement solution. So those those five are dominating um, the landscape of this industry in each country differently. Each country, to your point, getting back to global, they manifest themselves sometimes differently and timing differently in each country. But they all five are front and center in, in throughout the industry and, they, and have been last five, 10 years and they will going forward. And I, I don't have to explain probably to the audience the importance and the growth of the last five, 10, 20 years of ETFs and alternative private markets and and sustainable investing um, and, and outcome oriented. We, we know their growth project trajectory. We know why they're growing. We get into that specifically. But those areas, um, you know, what I what I try to do is running businesses. This is the this is the challenge. You have to balance position getting building constantly every day and every week and every year your business for the future growth. But at the same time, you have to keep focused on harvesting what you currently have. It's like you're rotating the, the fields as a farmer, right? So, so I always find that balance. Up. Sometimes I've gotten that off. I ha I'm a little, um, sometimes um, I shouldn't say accused, but sometimes I'm guilty of, of focusing too much on the future and not as much on the present. But you, you, you have to strike the balance and you have to um, continue to run the business and understand it and do the best you can day to day. At the same time, you have to uh, build every all the time for future growth. So I've seen those five areas grow significantly over time. Even little old McKenzie, we, when I started over six years, we, we accumulated 50 billion in new AUM with those five growth catalysts. So um, they're important and um, the way you execute and take advantage of them can vary um, your timing and how you're going to, the resources they require, what geographies you want to try to, you can't do everything. You, you have to have some white space running a global business. You can't do everything right. But uh, you want to focus on five growth areas uh, now, and I'll talk about the future, but right now, China, retirement, outcome-oriented, sustainability, and private markets uh, and ETFs. So. 
And Barry, uh, I do have to say that you do give us uh, both our Canadian and U.S. business run for our money because, you know, we like to think that we're these uh, big thinkers that ponder the, the past and the future of the business, but uh, you nailed these ideas. I was there. I had the, the great pleasure of, of being there with you at the very um, kind of uh, initiation of your strategy yes. at McKenzie then when we got to know each other. And and uh, boy, you I mean, you nailed those ideas right now. They are, they are all super hot, but maybe five years ago i don't know that there were, there were that many executives that said okay you know we're having like a, a public markets are on a tear why worry about private alts um you know sustainability yes okay we have some time um uh, retirement uh, you know maybe we can all grow our um, our way out of this potential funding problem and so on and so on and China again I think a lot of start starting points but not a lot of true um, successes I would say I'm gonna say that maybe that that won't be make me very popular in some quarters, but not everybody has really had kind of a really deliberate strategy that has has brought a lot of uh, fruit, um, uh, even though I think it's changing for many organizations. But you, you're an ETFs, uh, you know, maybe that one was really already well articulated, but, but good for you guys, um, for you to have come up with those ideas. Yeah, no, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's what, um, again, makes this, this industry special. And you know, I, I'm I'll, not to be controversial, but I'll tell you right now: if, I, if ETFs will surpass mutual funds, and they're not better than mutual funds, they don't cannibalize mutual funds. They're just a different vehicle, as you know, for exposures. They work both beautifully together, and the revenue associated with mutual funds will continue to far exceed the revenue associated with ETFs because of the dominance of, of passive and smart beta in ETFs. But you know, they will surpass mutual funds and mutual funds are still growing and the, the private markets are being democratized. So the run of private markets into the individual investor is just starting, exciting. But that's starting now. And then of course, sustainability just exploded during COVID in the retail segments of US and Canada where it had in Europe and on and on and on. So it's, it, again, you, it's, it's, it, no one gets these things perfect. And we're very fortunate again we McKenzie that we have a very strong parent company with a strong long-term orientation. We had, we had a big existing business that's quite profitable. So we could take a chance at these all five of these trends, whereas some people aren't aren't don't have that luxury per se. But yeah, it's it's been fun. That was a that was a fun time to to uh, get those five going, and and um, l there's a lot more to come, obviously, in those five. But but you're right. It's uh, the it seems like the momentum has accelerated the last few years in, in those five five trends. Most definitely. Um, and uh, and Mackenzie did end up, I think, reaping a lot of benefits of that uh, thoughtful leadership and 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 strategizing um, uh, as as uh, throughout your tenure. Now, uh, what about the future? What do you think uh, we should be thinking about uh, as we look to the next five to ten years? Well, I think it's um, again I'm very positive on this industry. Over 100 trillion dollars of AUM, uh, the industry on average has. Uh, well over 30% profit margin. That's enviable of any industry. Uh, some firms are in the 40-50% range. Um, so, you know, again, scale is important. Obviously, you'll see you'll see more consolidation. But we always have. There's there's no grand trend towards consolidation. It happens when it happens. 
Uh, I've done t I've done about ten or fifteen acquisitions. I've done two big acquisitions where we had to merge teams. It's not easy. Th those scale plays are very delicate. <laughs> very delicate of, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like tuck ins. I, I like finding firms that maybe they develop they start a product markets business or they developed or start a sustainability business and uh, they, a lot of them can can do very well as a boutique on their own. But if they want to join a larger firm for distribution, all the benefits of a larger firm. <clears throat> Love those tuck ins. Those are great. So you'll continue to see new firms, smaller firms, uh, innovation come out. They'll be independent or they'll be tucked into larger firms. You'll see a few more scale plays, but not too many, I think. But, but I think here's, here's what's interesting going forward, gosh, and you and I talk, touched on this thing on a private conversation a couple months ago. I tell you what's, aside for the five brokehouse, those are still going to dominate. But I, t I tell you right now, we are in a very unique situation right now because we've had a 40-year uh, you know, bull market for bonds. Interest rates have, have declined secularly since the early 80s. That ain't happening anymore. Now they're rising. Um, and so not only do we have a new environment going forward of rising interest rates, of course, we saw what happened. We've had the worst bond market year to date, I think, in our history. <laughs> because, you know, yes. you know, we're always reminded that you know, rate, rates go up and bond returns go down, right? So, uh, and when they stabilize, you'll do better because you, you clip higher coupons. But right now, that's a, the, journey, the journey of rates up is really hurtful on the portfolios. But we've got that to deal with. And, and you know, we've got new competitors. So you'd always, you always talk about new competitors. Well, in Canada, the, the 4 or 5% GIC is going to be a huge competitor for the asset management industry, right? Higher interest rates, you know, term deposits, uh, you know, the balance sheets in a particular kind. Oh, the, the consumer balance sheet, I think, in Canada is not particularly attractive right now. So they've got to be careful of, you know, paying down some higher debt servicing costs versus investing. So, you know, we always talk about new innovation, but just the business itself, we're going to have to deal with something that we haven't dealt with since, you know, 40 years is higher interest rates. And here's something that's going to be very fascinating, and um, you know, I love to talk about it as much as I can, as everyone else does. Ad nauseum, we've got we've got to unwind this fiscal monetary stimulus, as we know. Yeah, uh, this do has indeed. gone. Indeed, we do. Um, <laughs> there was good reason for it. We know why. You know, if, if we did even we hardly unwound what we did in 0809, which we needed obviously to support the capital markets and make sure they thrive. And of course, we shut down. The entire global economy essentially with COVID for good reasons, for health reasons. So when you do that, you need a 10 or 20 trillion dollars uh, of liquidity shoved into these capital markets as well as the equivalent amount of fiscal stimulus. That is, com is you know, completely unsustainable. I've been I've the camp that it was required, but it was, it was too much for too long. That's, I, we could talk about it later, but it's too much for too long. But now we got to unwind it. And oh wow, what a surprise. We have inflation, we have volatility. We're going to have volatility for a long time here. This will take a long time to unwind that stimulus. And at some point, it'd be nice to get back to the national laws of demand and supply in terms of pricing versus we haven't had that since what, before 20, 2008. So it's been a long time since we have national supply demand supply that are affecting the markets that we can actually try to figure out how to invest in. So I think the asset management industry, I would, I would ask them collectively, and, and I would do the same if I wasn't retired, and, and they do, take, they'll take the lead. They will take the lead as to interpreting it into how to navigate it. And how to, with always the best interest of investors. I mean, I, I even my, I love my competitors too. I think everybody are, are good investors, and they're trying their best to get the best returns they can for their investors. But this is going to be, this is a very unique environment. I would, I had, uh, my good friend Mark Weissman, who was on BNN Bloomberg a few days ago, he was talking about the, the banks, the central banks are basically an unwinding and having quantitative tightening is like parallel parking a car at 60 miles an hour. 
Well, I'll tell you another car analogy. You could throw out the rear, rear view mirror. This is not the 1970s or 80s. I mean, don't even talk about inflation in the 70s, 80s. This is not anything to do with today. We pumped $20 trillion into the capital markets and we're going to have to unwind it. And, and yeah, yeah, the Ukraine war didn't help with inflation and global distribution, supply chain, that's, gonna, that's not helping because we shut down the economy. But we got to unwind it. And, uh, we, and these are blunt instruments and they have delays to them. And we're going to have volatility for a long time. And, but, but guess what? That's opportunity for asset management, right? For sure. <laughs> we love volatility. For sure. So, yeah. I think you're so right. And, you know, and, and uh, I know I have to be uh, uh, cautious not to wade into political territory. But around the world, you can even see that both central bankers, and uh, uh, which is surprising, but also politicians, don't actually have the, the lexicon to talk about inflation and it's everybody is leaning back on the war in Ukraine and disruption of the supply chains but you are you got it and you know maybe this is my uh, my uh, bent as a originally classically trained economist if you print a bunch of money <laughs> sooner and inflate every asset in sight sooner or later <laughs> uh, goods are going to run, run out and prices will have to go up <laughs> you know so i yeah. think uh, uh, you I'm got it, and, 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 and the good thing with the uh, we've had you know corrections over the last several months. The good thing is that the the part of the uh, the stock of the equity markets, the part of the equity markets that the valuations got too frothy, right? Uh, they've come down, right? Those part because they were they were they were obviously uh, advantaged by the, um, the the you know the, the shutdown, the and so that's come off. And then yeah, and then risk taking, of course, it was it was too much of a risk on environment because why wouldn't you? I mean free money let's go for it right so 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 the good thing about going forward is that we uh you know obviously and the other thing about forget the 70s or 80s i mean we've got we've got record low unemployment we've we've got fairly strong consumer balance sheets we've got a pretty good corporate earnings i mean we, our environment is not that bad it was kind of like where it was pre pre-covid before we started pumping all this into the which we had to by the way we, we pumped it all into into the capital markets so that's a good thing and and two technical points to your your point with the lexicon gosh because again we just like esg which is uh, just uh, alphabet soup we gotta we gotta sort that out because I'm, I'm a big believer in it but i think i'm a little worried that people don't quite understand as much as they should inflation is increases year over year we're going to have a, a some element of inflation it's just basis because you've got Lower, you know, you had a low, artificially low uh, platform or levels at some point. So therefore, now they're going higher. So that's inflation. Now, to have a nine percent inflation for another year, that's fairly challenging because that's another nine percent increase year over year if you understand inflation. And then recessions, we, we seem to be very scared of this R word. We can have a technical recession. We might be in right now, like two consecutive quarters of of uh, reduced real GDP growth. That's what a recession is. So, but that recession. If we had that, it's going to, it might look a little different than than you know the big R recession. So I think you're right. We got to talk it through. We can't be naive. We can't paint it with rosy eye colored glasses, so to speak. Uh, but but it is something that you know terminology is important. Leadership is going to be important. Explaining what happened and here's where we are and here's what we got to do to get through this. And I, I really do believe the asset management industry can be can be good strong leaders in educating and navigating uh, these markets, which are very unique. Uh, not very many historical precedents for them. Mm -hmm. 
that's for sure. And I mean, your point about leadership, I think that's a really uh, great point and, and maybe a segue. And you mentioned both um, uh, Mark and also Michelle, who is an amazing uh, leader. And of course, as a female in the, in the, in the world of uh, wealth and asset management, I, I take particular uh, pleasure um, in, in knowing that there are, and there are quite a few in the US and, and also in Canada. But um, uh, so from that perspective, given that that we i think both agree there is going to be some kind of a disruptive uh, macroeconomic slash market backdrop um we we have to do this it's it's to be expected and hopefully we're going to relearn a lot of the things that we know about the basis basic laws of supply and demand in the process which will be a good thing um so what do you think are some of the you know you and i chatted a little bit a few weeks ago about what it takes to to uh, uh, translate these challenges into opportunities and cap capitalize on them, if you will. What kind of uh, leadership uh, or executives will it take? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I, I've run businesses. I was very fortunate to start running business at an early age. So, I, so out of 35 years, I ran business for 25 years, last 25 years, and with a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and surprisingly, I, given my mathematical background, I've always been interested in the data points and, and looking at the um, quantitative aspects of the business and figuring out where you know things are moving. But I more increasingly during my career, leadership career, uh, focus on the soft skills and on communication, on setting a vision, on um, culture and bringing, it's amazing what a group of individuals can do in company A versus a, a company B, it, they have the same uh, research that the same data points and yet one company does better than the other. Why is that? Well, I'm a big believer that it's the culture of one firm that can actually, if they work well together, they execute well, um, if, if everything else held constant, that will do better than all the other firms. Um, diversity helps, by the way, gosh, I've been a big believer, all aspects of diversity. I've obviously been leaning in on gender diversity for many years. Our industry is challenged, asset management, <laughs> in that area, and we know that, and everyone sees the data in terms of the portfolio managers and the wholesalers and the, um, the advisors. It's 80% plus still dominated by men, and diversity works, and so it'll be good to continue to get increased diversity, all aspects of diversity, but I would, I would, um, I would say it'd be good to continue to lead with gender diversity first uh, in our industry. Uh, a more diverse group will will thrive well. I think that the, you and I talked about this before, Gashka, and you made a brilliant point. The um, you know those that have deep experience in this industry. This is a very specialized industry, like other industries, and so you can't just parachute yourself in and and translate what you've done over somewhere else into asset management. I Not so that we're agree better with worse. you. It's just it's just. It's very, very, very difficult. A lot of nuances, a lot of soft, a lot of hard, a lot of everything about it. You've been through you know, financial crises before. That really helps, by the way. Those have been around for 20, 30 years. And so I think the, the content experts, the experienced leaders, more diverse groups, those that are focused on uh, bringing teams together in a new hybrid environment, by the way, another challenge they'll have, but I think, those, I think the smart groups will figure that out. And you'll have, um, you know, a, a strong culture. You have to figure out how to continue to build that culture in a hybrid environment. Another, again, a challenge. But I think all the smart leaders will figure it out. So I just, I just think that it's, uh, you know, leadership is going to be even more important. 
And I've always tried, again, with lots of, lots of mistakes, to hire experienced, smart people that, that work well together and, and um, have a lot of different viewpoints and have constructive debates. And, and I love flat structures. I, I, just, I just don't like titles and, and levels. It drives me crazy. <laughs> but flat structures and get out of their way and, and let me focus on at sea level on the vision, the strategy, and the communication. And I'll give you my advice if you want it, but let them do their job, let them lead. And uh, it's a beautiful, when you have that orchestra going, you've got all the various segments of the orchestra. You've got your marketing and your asset management and your distribution and your compliance, legal and operations and everything working beautifully together. It's, and you have to, and, and now going forward, because I would say that the separation of winners losers is going to continue to um, be more pronounced in our industry. So those that figure out this inflection point with smart leadership will do even better and those that don't figure it out quickly will, will and have been struggling they'll even struggle more so unfortunately so um, but overall it's a wonderful industry and I think that uh, it's got smart leaders and and you know I'm not going anywhere I've just decided to retire and do some other stuff but um, but go, go on podcasts you know anytime you want yes. me to <laughs> you're going to be a regular Barry I can tell you that <laughs> Happy to. <laughs> and the, yeah. and uh, you know you uh, you know music to our ears. I would say at ISS you mentioned diversity, um, so much uh, I think richness that it brings to the table in terms of perspective, experience, um, uh, um, attitude, understanding, um, nuance. I you know uh, we're all around uh, about that, and and certainly that is really really well received. But you talked also about. Um, you know, this is the time that uh, the tough get going and the tough get to win. And uh, I think this is an important opportunity for asset managers to really ensure that they have the right people on board. Um, you know, I, you and I talked about it. <laughs> I said I call it the, the revenge of the expert uh, nerds, <laughs> of which I'm not an expert, but a nerd for sure, <laughs> an industry nerd. <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I think you're right that this is, you know, where the nuance and thoughtfulness is going to be really, really important. So, um, Barry, I am going to uh, do my uh, absolute best to to convince you to appear again. Um, there is so much we can learn from you. Thank you so much for for um, uh, for this and and continued wishing wishing you continued success in in the both uh, kind of sharing your expertise and knowledge and leadership, but also in all the new ventures. I know you're planning different things, so maybe that's a topic for another call. Well, thank you very much, Koshka. And you're too kind, and I too value our friendship. And uh, your firm is such a thought leader, and um, really enjoy the, the chat and happy to do that again sometime soon. So take care. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much, Barry. And that is a wrap for us this month. Uh, if you like this podcast, please tell your friends, spread the news on LinkedIn, give it a like on the platform which you're using as well. Feel free to ping us with any ideas about specific topics or industry guests that you would like us to feature. And maybe, Barry, I'm going to circle back to you to maybe uh, see if we can get Michelle. That would be fantastic. Um, oh, I'll help you. Oh, she's terrific. Yeah, please. That. Thank you. Thank you very much, Barry, once again. And thank you, everyone. Bye.